Rob, it is without question that the Harry Potter franchise is one of the the biggest, uh, most successful franchises of all time. You know, obviously you got your Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and things like that, but up there in that hemisphere in that conversation is the Harry Potter, both in terms of, you know, the popularity of the book, but also the popularity of the film franchise. So when the film franchise was wrapping up, it's not a big surprise that Warner Brothers then wanted to keep that train rolling. They wanted to keep it going, Rob. So they said, well, let's do more in this Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And they did the Fantastic Beast films. Now, the Fantastic Beast films, to me, have been okay. I mean, I, I particularly, I did like the last one, uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald. I, I did like that. I liked it more than the first one. The first one was all right. I thought the second one was, was pretty good. Um, and then, obviously, there was a lot of drama with the third one. You know, the they haven't been getting the same audience responses or making the same amount of money that they were getting from the original Harry Potter movies. Then, of course, they had the big drama with the Johnny Depp situation, uh, although they did replace him with a, another very, very kick-ass actor in Mads Mikkelsen to play Grindelwald. That's great. And then it's been a lot in limbo. You know, the dates got moved and pushed when production finally did around to get started and a lot of question marks. Well, today, they took a big step forward, Rob. Because today it became announced that they now have a release date, an official release date, April 2022. So actually not too far away. It's not actually not all that far away, the release date for this. But they actually now have an official title for it called Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. And if you look at the D, it looks like there's that little wand is sketched into the E. Uh, I like the name of the, of the movie, actually. It's a pretty smart name for the movie. It's got good marketing appeal because Dumbledore is, of course, one of the most popular characters in the entire franchise. Uh, it's a good memorable name. It's a good title. It's a nice title. Rob, look, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a Potterhead. I'm not. But I have certainly enjoyed the Harry Potter franchise. I've gotten some mild enjoyment out of the Fantastic Beasts films to a degree. I am fascinated to see Mads Mikkelsen uh, take it up. They need to really pick up their game, though, with this third film. Because, like I said, Rob, the first two Fantastic Beasts films, well, I think they've been okay. They have not lived up to the original Harry Potter films, like at all. No. In terms of popularity with their audience or their financial windfall. They haven't made as nearly as much at the box office. They need to knock this one out of the park. And uh, it's good that they finally got themselves a date. I like the title of it. We'll see how that kind of transpires. Rob, what do you think about the title, the release date, and where's your anticipation level right now for Fantastic Beasts 3? Well, I, I, I do like the title a lot. It's cool, you know. Um, very It ties it all into the Harry Potter franchise nicely. I, I, I like you. I like these movies. I, I, I didn't... I mean, none of the Harry Potter series floated my boat as much as some people only because i was a little older and growing up i read a lot of fantasy lord of the rings the sword of shannara the tom the chronicles of thomas covenant and then there's dozens of other fantasy novels so the fantasy tropes that harry potter dealt with you know i was familiar with already i grew up reading more adult oriented fantasy but i when i read full i read harry potter and the philosopher's stone the first book and i i was charmed by it and I could see why it became a worldwide phenomenon and brought kids back into reading. I mean, who would have thought, John, that kids would line up at a bookstore? But they did. And I, for the most part, the film franchise has been, uh, they certainly, they're, some are better than others. I mean, I think Prisoner of Azkaban's my favorite. But my God, uh, what a phenomenon it's been. And the actors and the, the, the productions are first rate. I've liked the Fantastic Beast movies. So this is exciting. I mean... 
I'm not as excited for this as say No Time to Die. Right. But, you know, <laughs> I'll definitely watch it. Let, let me ask you this. How important do you think it is for the future of this franchise? You know, and particularly Fantastic Beasts, because obviously they would like to do more of them. They would obviously like to do more. But sure, the first ones have not. I think it's fair to say, even though you and I generally like them, I think it's fair to say they haven't lived up to the potential of a Harry Potter universe movies. How right. important do you think it is for this film to do in order for Warner Brothers to keep moving forward and keep making making more of them? Like, it doesn't need to be The Godfather. It doesn't need to be the greatest movie of all time. But No, but I think it's, look, I think that every generation has their great franchise. And there is a there is a worldwide population of people that have grown up with Harry Potter and are going to continue to grow up with Harry Potter. And and look, I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, you know that one day Harry, Ron, Hermione, whatever, they're all going to come back and do a movie as adults. You know it. Come on. Or something. Some permutation of that. And I think, you know, this third film being successful keeps the franchise moving forward. And I like this franchise. I mean, I think that you know, how often ultimately it's a franchise. Sure, it's got great evil in it, but it's ultimately a positive kind of a life-affirming franchise, even though it deals with dark magic. And I think it's important that uh, this third film, I mean, at least it seems to me once once you have a trilogy of films, John, that have been successful, that's always good for, for any kind of a franchise. And remember, this is a spinoff franchise, so it makes the Harry Potter world that much more, it, it might lead to another Harry Potter world or universe spinoff trilogy, which could be kind of cool. I just want to point out a couple of our viewers in the live chat right now have some other possible titles that maybe they should have titled this. A Marcellus is saying they should have titled it Dungeons and Dumbledore. I like that one. Uh, also, we've got one here that says uh, from Quirky Joe it says no time to Diagon Alley. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a good one as well. Got a couple of good ones in there, guys. Question is for you. What do you think? About this development for Fantastic Bass, Fantastic Bass, Fantastic, it's a fishing movie, Fantastic Beast 3, it's The Secrets of Dumbledore coming out in April. What do you guys think about the title? I think it's a decent title. I mean, the title won't make the movie any better or any worse, but I think it's a good title for what it is. What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down... Let's now move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics on the John Campy Show? It's really simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Dunder Mifflin. This is Pam, writes. <laughs> so, the Hollywood Reporter just reported that the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit against Disney is prompting Bob Chapek to make some changes within the company. The reporter stated that Bob Chapek explained that the standards for talent are undergoing a reset and future agreements will need to take into account the changes, specifically in regards to the release windows during the pandemic. You mentioned that things were going to get worse before they got better. Is this a sign of that? Yes, it is. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah, 
the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit against Disney. Now, look, just just to give context to this and just, you know, exactly where I'm coming from. I am a big Disney fan. I am. Scarlett Johansson is a thousand percent in the right in this situation. And Disney under Bob Chapek uh, has really been trying to screw her over. And it's been proved. It's just every new bit of information that comes out just proves that again and again and again. But Rob, maybe nothing has proved that point more than Bob Chapek's own new words. His own new words. Now, to give some understanding of this, Bob Chapek was basically speaking at a conference recently, and a question was raised up about, you know, how they handle talent contracts and the whole Scarlett Johansson situation. And this is what Bob Chapek said. He said this, we've got a deal that's conceived under a certain set of circumstances and conditions that actually results in a movie that's being released in a completely different set. So there's a bit of a reset that's going on right now. And ultimately, we'll think about that as we do our future talent deals and plan for that <laughs> and make sure that that's incorporated. Let me read that. Let me read that one more time. So I want to make sure you guys are catching what Bob Chapek is basically admitting right here. Once again, he says, we've got a deal that's conceived under a certain set of conditions that's actually results in a movie that's being released in a completely different set. So there's a bit of a reset that's going on right now. And ultimately, we'll think about that as we do our future talent deals and plan for that and make sure that that's incorporated. Guys, I want make no mistake about it about what we just read. Make no mistake about it. Be under no illusions. This is what just happened. Bob Chapek has been standing up to the world and saying, there's nothing wrong with our deal with Scarlett Johansson. Uh-huh. We're, we're treating her fairly according to the deal. There's nothing wrong with our contract. And then today going, guys, change the way we do our contracts. Holy shit, we're getting screwed. Oh my God, we're busted. Change the way we do our contracts. And then to the public, oh, nothing wrong with our contract with Scarlett Johansson. And then, guys, we got to change our contracts. <laughs> we totally got, because we're screwed. We're totally screwed. Scarlett's going to take us to the cleaners because of what's in the contract. Bob Chapek just basically came out publicly, Rob, and admitted, yeah, maybe the contract we have with Scarlett is kind of not good for us. And we've got to change the way that we're doing the moving forward. I, I mean, listen, he didn't come right out and say, I admit Scarlett's right. But Rob, between his words that he just gave us right now, on top of the fact that right now, guys, Disney's lawyers are desperately trying to get this lawsuit moved into private arbitration, which means that the details of what's going on can't be made public. If Scarlett Johansson is allowed to carry out this, this uh, lawsuit in a court, it's public record. Disney does not want to be, don't, they don't want to, everybody to see them with their pants down. They don't want people to see them with their pants down. They don't want them to see how bad they try to screw over one of their own talent and back out of an agreement, a legally binding contractual agreement with they made with their talent. So they're trying to get it done behind closed doors. I have told you guys, Rob, from day one, the way this is going to end. This is going to end without big fanfare or anything. This is going to end with Disney cutting Scarlett Johansson a big check. How big? Not sure. They'll compromise. Both sides will have to compromise. But this ends in no other way than Disney very quietly writing a very large check with big mouse ears on it and sliding it over the table 
to Scarlett Johansson's lawyers. And with Bob Chapek basically just coming out now and admitting, yeah, yeah, uh, our, our contracts are not currently structured in a way that's good for us. And uh, the agreements we signed have par- basically bent us over a barrel and we need to change the way we're doing contracts. This is just going to expedite, I think. Anyway, Rob, you hear the new comments from Bob Chapek here. What's your take on it? Well, first of all, I'm shocked he said this because like this quote you just read, we've got a deal that's conceived of under a certain set of conditions. You're done, buddy. That's right. (laughs) You made a deal under those conditions. You don't get to change conditions. If conditions change, you don't, that has, that is completely irrelevant to the deal that you signed. That's what a deal is. You know, it's when you, and, and then it actually results in a movie that's being released in a completely different set, not Scarlett Johansson's problem. This is a you problem. Not a her problem. Done. Just, I mean, I would, why even go to court? Just cut her a check, you know, and say, this is, this is, this was fair market value. We're very sorry. Done. We're sorry how we treated you. Period. That's what I would say. Because he, like you said, he just admitted it. And what are you going to do? Go into an arbitration. And the first thing they're going to read is this comment and be like, um, yep. The arbiter is going to be like, yeah, why are we bothering? Just cut her a check. Yeah, I think honestly, the only thing that's left now is them going to they're going to fight back and forth and they're both going to compromise and they're both going to have to come to whatever the amount of that check is going to be. But a check there will be there will be a check and Scarlett Johansson is going to win this thing. And Rob, I guess the part I don't mind businesses trying to do business. You know, Bob Chapek's a businessman. He's trying to, to get the he's trying to save the most money he can. I don't fault him. Scarlett Johansson is trying to maximize her revenue. I don't fault her. So you nope. hammer out agreements and contracts, and then you got to go by that contract. The part where I got really disappointed in Disney, and I say this as a Disney fan, the part where I get really disappointed in Disney as a whole, and obviously Bob Chapek, who I do not believe has done a very good job running this company, is when they then came out and started character assassinating Scarlett Johansson, trying to make it about, oh, she just doesn't care about the pandemic. And said, I'm sorry, didn't you just open your parks again? Uh, she's just this and she's just that. And they made it very personal. And I think that's going to come back to bite them in the ass because I oh, think, yeah. Rob, maybe there was a number. Because I said both sides are going to have to compromise. I think there was a number Scarlett Johansson was probably willing to settle with them for. But after making all the personal attacks, I think that number's now bigger. I think it, they're going to have to pay for it. They're, they're, their mouth was writing checks that their asses couldn't cash, and now it's going to catch up to them, and she's going to punish them for it. So yep. I don't know. Questions for you guys. What do you think of this? The whole Scarlett Johansson, Disney, Bob Chapek drama continues to go. Listen, guys, as long as Bob Chapek is still the CEO of Disney, there's always going to be drama. But listen, what do you guys think of this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And by the way, our friend, the Jughead one sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jughead. Appreciate that, man. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? Rob. What is our second main topic today? <laughs> this is going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Meek says, hey, John. All right. So I just finished watching the latest What If on Disney Plus, and I might be done with the whole show. I love the Doctor Strange episode like everyone else, but honestly, every other episode has just been a waste of time. I remember you guys talking about Marvel starting an entire animation division, but if the quality is just going to be what, if their quality is just going to be what we've gotten from What If, 
I think I'll pass. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Uh, you know, John, I watched today's What If or last night's What If, and I found it monumentally amusing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not to give spoilers, but I mean, basically, so Thor and every Marvel extraterrestrial, Thor throws parties on various planets around the universe and basically wreck shop. <laughs> Look, and to me, to me, it was the high school party episode. But instead of going to someone else's house, they go to someone else's planet. And I I was you had Jane Foster, you had a couple of other characters we've seen. I I, I like the animation. I I just found the whole thing quite amusing and it put a smile on my face. Now, was it as heartfelt and emotional and and wrenching as say the Doctor Strange episode? No. But it was a party episode. I think for how it was conceived and what somebody somebody probably pitched that idea and people like, yeah, let's do that. That'll be fun. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Was it consequential? No. Did it did it tear my heartstrings? Hardly. I just found it amusing and fun. And sometimes that's all you need. And I think what's interesting is that episode succeeded in doing what it what was conceived of doing. Now, a lot of people might not be down with dude, bro, Thor, dude, dude, bro, Thor going to planets and, and throwing parties. I mean, come on. They were turning the St. Louis arches into a funnelator, a slingshot. <laughs> yes. yes. I don't they know, were. man. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, when Surtur accidentally burns off the torch from the Statue of Liberty, the torch. I just, dude, come on. You didn't find it amusing in the least. I just, I don't know. I liked it. I was amused by it. I had a smile on my face the whole time. <laughs> even even the watcher at the end was like, wait, what? And then something happened. There was an end tag. And I, even the end tag, I'm like, please, Hot Toys, make a hot, make a hot toy of that figure we see at the end. <laughs> um, Look, I don't need... um. <laughs> every one of the what if chapters to be as like emotionally riveting as the Dr. Strange one. I don't need it to be as transformative as the Hank Pym one does. And you mentioned that it was fun and enjoyable. I did. Was it? Was yes. it? I'm, yes, I mean, it I'm glad you found it fun and enjoyable. I didn't giggle once. I'm watching it. I'm like, because, you know, Thor is like, other than Cap, he's probably like my favorite character in the MCU, right? So I'm like, okay, a Thor-centric episode. This is going to be cool. And anything that involves Loki's great. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, this is, I didn't laugh once, Rob. Not what I think there was one joke Frigga made. Frigga made a joke at some point, And I can't remember what it was now. And I remember I did laugh at that. But didn't but, didn't you throw a party in high school or didn't you ever go to a party in high school where everybody had like show up the next day and you help clean up the house so the parents don't know? And yes. And and we'll see. Didn't you? Come on. But this, this, wasn't, this wasn't anything like it. This mom's was, coming home. Uh, mom's no, coming home. Like, you you got to clean up the planet before you get in trouble. My mom's coming. <laughs> I because because here's the other thing, too. I, I actually like. find. I honestly think this whole up till now, the what if series to me has been a failure. I, I think like I did not like the first one, Captain Carter. I thought the one with T'Challa as Star Lord was interesting. I think that was the one that really showed us there was potential 
in in the what if series you know again i love the one where hank pym ends up killing all the avengers uh that was really interesting like never the message of the mcu is always great don't mess with super geniuses like I, i've always liked that that's always kind of been a, a message of the mcu as well and obviously the doctor strange episode was fantastic but Again, the Captain Carter one, I thought the zombie one was a complete missed opportunity. I, I didn't think, like, if this had been, if this Thor one had been fun and enjoyable, I would be on board with it. But, and I'm glad you had fun and enjoyed it. I'm glad you laughed. I didn't, though. I'm like, I'm waiting to laugh. I'm watching. I was like, come on, something happened to make me smile. I just Surter, Surter being on the statue. Hey, baby. It's like, it's a, it's a statue. It's a statue. And like Thor being an absolute imbecile, like Thor being an absolute imbecile, the entire thing. Um, I I don't know. There there was some stuff. What's what's Jane's assistant's name again? Uh, I keep Darcy. So some, some yeah. of the Darcy. Okay, okay, that's another part that made me laugh. Darcy walking the aisle. That made me laugh. I will give it that. I will give it that. That that one made me chuckle. But. I, I don't know, I but I continue to watch What If. Because when we got those two, the Hank Pym one and the Doctor Strange one, like, to me, I was, I'm watching those, and I'm like, that's what this whole show should be. Like, not that they have to be dark and serious, but it have to be, like, something that really becomes transformative of our understanding. Like, if you're going to do these What If things, really go for it. Give us something that's, like, a totally different story, something that really changes the game as you're watching it. And... The Hank Pym one did that. The Doctor Strange one did that. I, I find like these ones, like, oh, what if Killmonger still had his exact same plan? He just happened to go about it a slightly different way. Or what if it just happened to be Sharon that got in the chamber instead of Steve? I, I don't know. I just, I just, this isn't working for me. Dude, I love the fact that aliens invade the earth and they go to Vegas to party and they invite all the humans to party with them. I mean, I'm like, uh, 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 that would be fun. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want our national monuments destroyed. No, the concept, you know? the concept was, was was an interesting idea to start. I just didn't like the way it executed. So, I don't know. I, I, Come on, I Mardi Gras beads on, beads on Mjolnir. Come on. I think I'm ready to give up on this show, too. I, I, think, I'm, I think I might be tapped out of it. It's like, eh. Like, because right now, what, what was this, episode six? Was this episode? I think it was episode seven. I think it was seven. Was it seven? Because we had so. we had Captain Carter, we had T'Challa, Star Lord, we had zombies, Hank Pym, Doctor Strange, we had uh, what if uh, Killmonger saved Tony Stark, and this. I, I think that's seven. So I think you're right. Yeah. It's seven. Um, I thought it was six. So far, to me, only two of them have really been worth watching, and I really did like those two. But if I like as as a poker player, Rob, I don't like those chances. If I've only got like a one third chance that I might like something, if I sit down like less than a one third chance that I'll like something when I sit down to watch it, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I think I, I I'll be on the place now where it's like I'll wait to see the trailer for the next episode, and if the trailer for the next episode looks really really good, I'll check it out. But I think otherwise I might be tapped out. But you're certainly enjoying it, and you like this Thor episode a lot. I liked it. Well, and I think there's a, probably a lot of other people that did too. I just, I wish it did for me. It's just not working for me. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about what if so far? Maybe it's been exactly what you guys have wanted it to be and you're finding it really entertaining to watch. If that's the case, awesome. Maybe you're like me where it's like, oh, I wanted this to be great, but honestly, I'm finding it kind of a waste of time. Maybe you're like me on that. Whatever it is you guys are thinking about it, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your 
thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Tristan Ortiz, who writes, John, have you seen all the headlines that popped up last night that the industry union, IATSE, is calling for a strike authorization vote? If it goes through and a strike occurs, that would mean film and TV productions all over the country would shut down immediately. I have many friends in the IATSE and support them fully for this. They deserve fair working hours. Uh, yeah, they deserve fair work hours, compensation, and benefits. What do you think of the situation? And bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Really appreciate that. And yeah, listen, this is something that came up the other day. You know, Rob, I was doing uh, my show the other day, and a question about the I. I keep forgetting what what it actually stands for. It stands for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Employees, that's, that's right. And it's exactly. almost a 130-year-old union. Yeah, with like 60,000 members and all that kind of stuff. Is a very, and you guys see you guys see this symbol uh, on the end credits of every movie. Right near the end, this symbol comes up at the end credits of every single movie. And it came up the other day that the union chief of the IATSE was asking the membership for an authorization vote for him to declare a strike. Now, somebody brought that up on the show the other day, and I said, yeah, I saw that. But honestly, I remember, he wasn't asking for a strike vote. He was asking for a strike authorization, which means if they vote yes, that doesn't mean they're on strike. That just means that the membership empowers their president to call a strike if he felt that they needed to. And at the time when this first came up, I said, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I think this is posturing, just like the other side is going to do some, the Producers Association is going to do some posturing. I think this is them just showing that they're serious and that they mean business. But I said, I really wouldn't worry about this too much. Well, a few hours later, I got a call from somebody that I know who is in the IATSE and said, John, you're wrong. And they didn't say, look, we are definitely striking. This is definitely going to end in a strike. He didn't say that, but he said, you underplayed it. This wasn't just posturing. This going to strike is a very serious and very, very real possibility. And I'm like, really? I I, I didn't think it was like, I, I thought this was just initial posturing. Both sides basically, you know, throwing out their chests and pounding their chests and saying, look, we're all dead serious. But... Apparently, this is something that could really, really happen. This comes to us from the folks who have Variety who write this. Some 60,000 IATSE members could end up walking off the job, most of whom are based in Los Angeles. A strike, if it comes, would lead to a nationwide shutdown of TV and film productions because three of the locals, the 600, 700, 800, are national unions. It's coast to coast, said Joe Martinez, a special effects specialist in the IATSE Local 44, who said he believed a strike is increasingly likely. They think they got us by the balls. We make the product. If we don't show up to work, what are they going to sell? 
Local 600, the largest of the locals, representing 9,600 camera operators and cinematographers in the U.S. If they walk out, no one would be able to hold a camera on a set in the U.S., Likewise, post-production nationwide would come to a grinding halt without the 8,600 editors represented by the local 700. And by the way, this is not a union of just cinematographers and camera holders. This is not just a union of editors. This is, Rob, this is, this is set designers. This is costume people. This is makeup artists. These are all things... Rob, listen, I don't want to be, you know, the chicken running around yelling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But if, and it is a big if, people need to understand this. If they do go on strike, it's not hyperbole to say everything shuts down. Every set out there of a television show and a movie being shot in the United States right now, it stops. Now, any movie, I've seen some people ask me, Rob, what happens to like movies that are already done? Can they not come out? No, no, no. If movies are done, they'll still get yeah. released and they'll meet their release dates. We're talking about films that are still in some level of production. Everything grinds to a halt. This is massive. Rob, I can't think of another situation as serious as this since the writer's strike. And this could arguably be even more serious than that. And 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 so, and I was in a position, Rob, thinking that, eh, you know, I said on my show the other day, I don't think this is a real serious potential. I think this will all get resolved and it could still very much get resolved without anything happening. But we're now hearing comments coming out of the union, Rob, that this is dead serious. This could happen. Rob, let me ask you this. What do you think of the scenario overall of what's going on here? How big of a deal would this be to the industry? And ultimately, what is the likelihood, do you think, that this could actually come to a strike that shuts everything down? What are your thoughts? Well, I think this is a massive issue. And, um, you know, there's basically, there's there's the Teamsters, the local 399, and IATSE. These are the big unions that control all of production. And, and what they're really fighting against is that obviously producers... Uh, the entire economic model of the motion picture industry, television as well, has changed. And what they're trying to do is they're always trying to get more for less. And they're saying, well, the models have changed. Everything has changed. It it, it costs more to make these things. I mean, it, it, it's basically the same as it ever was. They want to get more for less. And making movies, most people go to work 12-hour workdays. The motion picture business, the average a day is a 12-hour day. And that 12-hour day usually starts earlier than 12 hours, and it ends later than 12 hours. You know, you have half an hour lunch. It's a grueling schedule to make movies and television, and it's always been that way. And there has been calls for reform for a long time. And unfortunately, people's pay has been slowly being reduced over the years, there are less residuals. I mean, there's less money to go around, and yet the streamers seem to be making more and more money. There's just a huge economic sea change happening in the motion picture business. Look, what, what was going on with Scarlett Johansson? It's all part of the same thing. The business moving over to streaming, the studios, uh, their economic models are completely changed. And, you know, IATSE's been around since the late 1800s. And like you said, John, Everybody involved with production from 
the actual production when you start on on a movie all the way through the end of post-production is covered by IATSE and like the Teamsters as well they're not necessarily part of this but I'm sure they're in solidarity but you know the Teamsters they bring everything to set trucks generators lights all the equipment I mean it's all the same thing and these are grueling long difficult jobs and when you work on these large giant marvel movies there's a lot of union members who are on these things and people are getting their pay it's less and less and less and they're expected to work if if, the exact same if not more and you know there's been a lot of talk about long hours people have been hurt they get tired on set driving back home sometimes so this is a real issue and i have to say I am in complete solidarity with IATSE here. What they're asking for is not some, it's not uh, unusual. And I don't think they're asking, they they want what they deserve and they, they should get that. And they want to keep more, more than anything, they want to keep their workplaces safe and they want to keep their workplaces vibrant and places where people can work in an environment where great work gets done. Morale is, is kept high and everybody wins. So it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this kind of pans out because, you know, to a great degree, a lot of fans have forgotten about it and brushed away already. But the scars of the writer's strike are still being felt in the industry to this day. And I think they know that. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this turns out. And all we can do is is hope for, you know, all the TV shows and movies that we love to watch. <laughs> we can hope that this gets worked out amicably for everybody involved and people get treated fairly. I don't know. Maybe instead of paying Will Smith $40 million for King Richard, maybe you pay him $35 million and spread the yeah. other $5 million around. I don't know. I. I mean, when you, John, you're, that's a really great point you're making because, you know, you read about these Knives Out deals. And these streaming services are making $400 million deals to make Knives Out, to make two Knives Out movies. And you got people getting $50 million payouts. It's like, come on, man. Um, you, you, you've got your day laborers, essentially, the people that are working day in and day out on these productions that make them happen. And yeah, I'm not saying you don't need talent. You do need talent. But you also need talented people. Every person on a set matters to some degree. And, you know, they're they're vital to the success of whatever it is you're making. Quick, Robin can't make a Knives Out sequel. Yeah, you need Daniel Craig and you need Ryan Johnson, but you also need your grip and electric department, your DP, your script supervisor, makeup and hair, uh, everyone. Rob, just so. quick, I know you've you got to cut out here a little bit early today, but I, I want to get it from you. What are the chances this actually happens? What are the chances that they either get this thing resolved before anything bad happens or do you think the situation is bad enough that they have to strike before something happens? What are the chances here? Uh, well, I think they have to stand firm. I mean, I don't know enough about the negotiations and what's going on, but I would say that, that um, look, this is all part of a larger industry thing, and I, I do think it's, it's a necessary. This is necessary. It has to happen. And these things need to get sorted out, just like they have to get sorted out with the Writers Guild, you know, and the Teamsters, I mean, people need to get paid fair wages for the hard work that they do. And everybody always wants to pay people less. So. All right, Rob, listen, I know you've got uh, you've got like Hollywood types of meetings. You got some Tango Shalom business you got to take care of. So you got to split for now. But Rob, thanks a lot for being here. We'll see you next time, of course. Uh, in the meantime, where can people follow you and your stuff online? 
Um, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on uh, Twitter at Burnett RM. And you can always find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one, Rob. All right, man. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Meyer Burnett. But I, And I just want to clarify something. I see some chat going on things here. This is not about... Uh, this is not about actors versus the union workers. This is nothing to, they're completely disconnected. This is about the producers and the union workers. You know, the actors work out their deals with the producers. The union workers work out their deals with the producers uh, as well. One really has nothing to do with the other, but you treat the actors really, really well. And I'm not saying they shouldn't, they should, but you got to treat, the people who are on set every day making your movies possible, you got to treat them well too. I'm not saying a grip should make $5 million a year, but you got to make sure they're making a decent living. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this whole situation? Do you think it will actually come to a strike? Maybe yes, maybe no. Right now, I think it's a bit of a coin flip. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that all down, we're now going to move on and start taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you want to get a comment or question read on the show or in an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video, or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once again, you'll begin your comment or question read on a show if it's, of course, appropriate for the show. And, of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us here, me, Rob, everybody, thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, let's get on over and start taking those live comments and questions, shall we? We're going to get started off here with <laughs> Queefer Sutherland. I like that. Right? I know you don't do movie dream casting, uh, of all, but of all the tremendous actors, actresses uh, that haven't appeared in an MCU film slash show yet, who would you want to see and who do you think is the most likely to join the MCU in the future? It's not about, see, the thing is to me, it's not about an actor coming into the MCU. It's about, is there a role that would happen to be a really good fit for a particular actor? Like right now, we haven't, say, had Leonardo DiCaprio in the MCU. Well, I don't want them to just shoehorn Leonardo DiCaprio into the MCU or a DC movie or any comic book property. It's like, is there a role that he would be particularly good and well-suited for? You know, would, would he be good for a particular role? So I don't know. There's not many left that haven't appeared in comic book movies. I mean, like, dear heavens, a lot. most of the major ones have already. I mean, I guess we're waiting for Al Pacino to pop up in one, but even then, he kind of has popped up in one a little bit, if you want to count Dick Tracy. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's Again, it's not about a particular actor. It's about, is there a role coming up that would happen to be a really good fit for one of the AAA list actors that hasn't been in one yet? And I'm not sure about that off the top of my head. All right, good question, though, Queefer. Next up, JCL Productions writes. Oh, I guess I can take the headphones off now. Uh, JCL Productions writes, is it me or... Let me try this again. Is it me or does Denis Villeneuve's Dune look like a recipe for a Marvel movie? Big CGI battle, Thanos, Drax, and Mary Jane are in it. A fight for our planet hangs in the balance, looks family-friendly, and has humor. He's basically making an MCU film while ragging on them. Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, the way I joke about it is he's talking about MCU movies being cut and paste. Meanwhile, he's out there promoting a remake of a remake of a pre-existing book. So I don't know. Again, I love Denis Villeneuve. I think it's a he's a really classy guy who happened to say something that was really unclassy. 
but I, I think he's he's one of the best directors in the world. I cannot wait for Dune. I think it's I think it's going to be awesome, but we'll see how it turns out. But again, I didn't like his comments. All right, Joel writes, "Hey, John, one of my theories for Spider-Man: No Way Home is that with the craziest of the multiverse, uh, Peter will end up leaving the MCU and joining Venom's universe through a rift or portal at the end. Then possibly have a cameo in Doctor Strange too. Well, listen, Joel, you're not the only one. There are there is a growing belief out there." that No Way Home is ultimately going to be setting up Spider-Man's departure from the MCU. There's a growing belief out there that the thing that No Way Home is really ultimately building up to is ultimately going to be Peter Parker's departure out of the MCU and over to the Sony-verse. Now, I, I don't know that that's true, but it is theoretically kind of what I've been thinking for a while that you remember back a couple of years ago, the Disney and Sony said their deal was over and Tom Holland got on stage at D 23, just to say to the D 23 fans, the Disney fans, Hey guys, I've loved being your Spider-Man. Thanks for the memories. And that he was just going to go over and start being Spider-Man for Sony movies. Well, then about a week later, they announced an extension. And a lot of us all believe that that extension was a way to cleanly end their deal. But maybe not. Maybe it's too extended for another 15 years. But I've kind of been of the belief that that new extension that they did a few weeks after D23 was so they could cleanly end the deal. And I think the way they're going to do that, one of the possibilities, I should say, one of the possibilities of the way they're going to do that is that No Way Home ultimately climaxes or at least sets up Spider-Man's departure out of the MCU and into the Sony universe. So I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. There's still a lot of possibilities. I think we're going to start getting some hints once we see Venom in a couple of weeks. We're going to get some hints. Oh, boy. And I finally got my invitation to my Venom screening. Very excited about that. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. It's 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 not. You're not alone in that theory, though, Joel. You're not alone in that theory. All right, next up. We got BMC writes. Hey, John. So I have a game recommendation for potential new play in chats. 12 minutes. It's a fairly short point and click type of mystery game. That's fantastic. Voiced by Willem Dafoe and James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley. You know what? I don't recognize the title, but I remember hearing about a game that has Willem Dafoe, James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley. Any of you guys in the live chat play this game 12 minutes? I know we're on about a 20 second delay, so I'll wait for a second to hear your answers. But if any of you guys played this, uh, Adrian is saying I played 12 minutes. It was really great. Interesting to see. So yeah, I haven't heard of this one. Uh, uh, Dat Boy is saying that it's really good. They recommend it. Uh, Mukbang is saying play it. Uh, Ethan is saying it's really good. Um, Wizar74 is saying it's on Game Pass. I have Game Pass. Maybe I should check it out. I'll tell you what, guys. I will check that game out. Thank you for the recommendation, BMC. All right, next up. Mr. Burns writes, one of three. Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you. I was watching your After Dark video on Tuesday morning, and I agree with you, DC and Marvel does not need to do a crossover movie. Yeah, uh, they need to keep both of those franchises separated. It just would be a big mess. Uh, it would be just a big mess. Also, when it comes to dog movies, I don't know if you've seen it, but I feel like Hachi, A Dog Tale is a very sad movie. I've never heard of that one. It always gets to me every everything I watch, but 
But my favorite dog feature story is probably Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. That's a delightful one. And lastly, there is a bunch of new things when it comes to TV this week. You have Doom Patrol debuting three episodes of the third season on Thursday. And then you have Mike Flanagan's new series, Midnight Mass, which, by the way, I don't know anything about Midnight Mass. Netflix just sent me an invitation to a debut screening of it, and I know nothing about it. I just know it comes from the same people who did like the haunting on house Hill or something like that. But I don't know anything about midnight mass until Netflix sent me this invitation. Um, you got, uh, then you have Mike Flanagan's you see midnight mass and Apple's foundation starting on Friday. I'm very, very interested about foundation on Apple. I think the trailers and the marketing for foundation have been insanely good. By the way, a new trailer dropped today for that invasion Apple series as well. I'm telling, I've been telling you guys, I have been telling you, even though they did not have a good launch and they put out some crap like Jason Momoa's C, and I'm a big Jason Momoa fan, but C was terrible, but they have really started cranking out some good content and these guys are going to be a major, major player also because they have all the money in the world. But, I mean, they're going to be a major, major player. So, anyway, yeah, it's stuff to keep our eyes on. Um, so, it's going to be a very busy week for a lot of us when it comes to TV shows. Anyway, I hope you have a very good rest of your week and have a great weekend as well. Well, thank you so much for that, Mr. Burns. Yeah, look, uh, Doom Patrol, everybody knows how much I love Doom Patrol. Like, there are three superhero-based things on TV right now that are three of the greatest superhero things ever on television, right? You've obviously got The Boys, which is phenomenal. you got Umbrella Academy, which not enough of you guys are watching The Umbrella Academy. It's fantastic. And Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, it's... Uh, the best way I know how to describe Doom Patrol, and I've said this about some other things as well, is this, imagine it's a house, okay? Imagine it's a house, and the exterior of the house is done by Kevin Smith, but the interior of the house is done by Shakespeare. That's that's how I feel about Doom Patrol. I cannot wait for this show to start back up again. Um, Dragon 10 is saying you've forgotten Invincible. I didn't forget Invincible. Invincible is really good. I really, really do enjoy Invincible. To, it, to me, it doesn't hold a candle to the boys, Doom Patrol, um, Umbrella Academy. But if you've seen me talk about Invincible, you know I like Invincible very, very much. But not on the, to me, it's not on the same level as those ones. Just not on the same level as those ones. To me, to me at any rate. All right, next up. Alan writes, Hey, John, you have mentioned that you think some current Warner Brothers execs are likely gone when Discovery takes over. Uh, judging by uh, Zaslav's recent comments, that seems likely. You're damn right it's likely. You think this new leadership will give the Suicide Squad a sequel. The only hope that, su that James Gunn's Suicide Squad has of getting a sequel the only hope it has of getting a sequel is once Discovery takes over Warner Brothers, which will happen in early 2022, I think quarter one of 2022, is that they look at it and say, we believe because the critics and the audiences that watched it seem to like this movie so much, we believe that the previous leadership at Warner Brothers totally screwed this movie over, and we believe if we greenlight a second one, it can make money. It's the only way it gets a sequel. Because as much as I love Suicide Squad by James Gunn, as much as I love that movie, there's, there's no way, pretty way to paint it. That movie was a massive flop and lost them tons of money. Tons of money. Of course, they did it to themselves with the whole HBO stupidity. But um, 
if the leadership at Discovery says, we think a second one could make money, they'll try it. But if they look at it and say, look, the first one was such a flop, there's just no way we can make profit by doing another one. Maybe they won't. But Discovery is the only shot of another Suicide Squad movie. It's the only shot. So let's see what happens. I'll keep my fingers crossed. All right, next up. Uh, Go Tigers writes, just wanted to say a year and a half ago, partially thanks to you for ch- for changing your career the way you did at 47, I decided to take a course to become a life coach. Very cool. Um, uh, as these things go, I spent a lot of time working on me. Now I'm no longer a diabetic. I've lost over 140 pounds. Fuck me. Holy crap. That's amazing. Uh, but I'm starting a new career. Thanks, John. Uh, thanks, John. Go not only the entertainment not only for the entertainment, but also for your example. Oh, man, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. Go Tigers. Listen, changing careers, big decision, big thing. Losing 140 pounds. Somebody wrote in the other day that they lost 110. Listen, I lost 40 pounds, and I thought I deserved a gold medal. Like when I got on the scale, I remember when I got on the scale, I saw that I had, I had reached the 40 pounds mark that I had lost. I honestly thought, dancing girls and confetti would fall from the ceiling and the mayor of the city would come out and put a gold medal around my neck. (laughs) Then somebody wrote in yesterday that they had lost like 110 pounds and damn, you lost like 140. Well done, my man. Well, well done. Uh, By the way, just want to give a shout out to Carl for sending in a super chat badge in the live chat a little bit earlier and Anton Riley for sending a super chat badge in the live chat as well. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate that dudes. All right. Let's keep going. And well done, Go Tigers. Well done, my friend. All right, next up. Mischievous Gremlin writes, Hey, John. So Tom Hanks, a dog and a robot, appear in an apocalyptic world. Uh, No, that's not the start of a joke. It's the latest trailer of the new Apple movie, Finch. I saw the trailer for that movie, and it looks pretty interesting in my opinion. Have you seen the trailer? Yes, I have. And listen, I love Tom Hanks as America's dad. Right. I love Tom Hanks as much as anybody, not as much as my wife loves Tom Hanks, but I love Tom Hanks as much as anybody. My one apprehension about Finch. And maybe this is unfair because I just finished talking about how Apple is cranking out some really good content and they are. But I also got to say that. um, They have put out a couple of other Tom Hanks standalone movies recently that looked pretty interesting. And in my opinion, both ended up disappointing. They had that World War II naval battle one. I think it was called Greyhound. And that looked really interesting. And honestly, I thought that was a dud. I thought it was a dud. Great performance by Tom Hanks, obviously. But I thought the movie was a dud. Then they did kind of a Western one that also looked really interesting called News of the World. And that looked really interesting to me, too. But it hit again. It was dull. It was dull. Some terrific performances by Tom Hanks and his supporting cast. But at the end of the day, I was just like, eh, I really could have done better things with my time than watching this. And I don't know. I was watching Finch, um, the trailer for Finch. I'm just like, I, it looks interesting, but I'm getting the same feel that I got from like news of the world and, Greyhound and stuff like that. So I don't know. I it's the trailer looks interesting, but I can't get terribly excited about it yet. Hopefully I will at some point. All right. Next up, Tom S writes. 
Hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much, Tom. I apologize if you've answered this already, but why do U.S. films release in other countries before we get it released here? Do other films that are made from other countries ever release in the U.S. first? Well, I mean, there's different reasons why a studio may choose to release a movie early in other countries. Um, Number one, they may just think like, hey, this movie would be a great release for this American holiday right? Like, uh, let's say, call it Memorial Day. This movie would be a great Memorial Day weekend release. Okay. But, you know, it's our marketing is all primed and ready to go. And there's something else going on in Italy a little bit before that, that we think it would release well in Italy a little bit earlier. So it's just about, sometimes it's just about finding, you know, what will, just because a release date works best in the United States, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the release date that works best in another territory. So sometimes you'll see studios go, okay, so in these European markets, we're released on this date. In the American market, we're released on this date. Sometimes, though, like for a movie like Dune, it's all about marketing. See, the people in charge of the marketing of Dune believe that the movie is really awesome. And they believe if we can release it internationally first, and get all of those international audiences raving about the movie online, get big, big, you know, um, organic word of mouth going, that that by the time opening weekend comes in the United States, you'll have a lot more people in the U.S. ready to go out to the theater to watch it opening weekend. So in some cases, it's just about what's the best date for this movie in certain countries. In some cases like this, it's about we want to build word of mouth internationally so when we open it up in the U.S., it'll be a big, big avalanche of, at least that's what they're hoping, it'll be a big avalanche of support. So, uh, so far it's working because we're hearing from a lot of our international film-loving brothers and sisters that they have seen Dune already and they're loving it. So... It all depends. Different situations at different times. All right. Good question, though, Tom. And by the way, our friend uh, Zaid Habjoka sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Zaid. I appreciate that, man. All right. Russell Amador writes. Where's Russell Amador? There he is. Hey, John, are you excited for the UFC card this weekend? Dude, I am ridiculously excited for the UFC card this weekend. Uh, Wow, it is stacked. Even the prelims of Dan. I know I had to do a double check. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is Dan Hooker fighting in the prelims? Dan Hooker is fighting in the prelims? Couldn't believe it. Anyway, Dan Hooker in the prelims. I'm curious to see if Brian Ortega in the main event can pull off the upset. I don't think he can, but I think it's going to be a great fight. And obviously, Shashenko walking away with the win. Watch me eat my words. Listen, man, if Valentina Shashenko, if Valentina Shashenko gets beat by anything other than a World War II tank or somebody with a submachine gun, I'll be shocked. Shashenko is a straight-up assassin. Like, she is a straight-up assassin. Like, when she hits you, like, your, your shits go unconscious, okay? The shit in your bowels gets knocked unconscious, Okay. Like she is like the only fight in the in the women's divisions that I'm really, really hyped about right now is the possibility of Amanda Nunez versus who is probably the greatest female mixed martial arts of all time and Valentina Shashenko going for a third round, going for a third fight. That's the only fight that really seriously 
uh, that seriously interests me. That that fight has to happen at some point. That third fight between them has to happen. But Valentina is so much fun to watch fight, man. She's a ballerina assassin. That's what she is. She's a ballerina assassin. I've seen her knock some people. Have you seen videos of her, by the way, as a child? You know, there's those famous videos where um, Habib Nurmagomedov, where his dad used to make him wrestle bears as a kid. Well, there are these other videos where Valentina Shoshenko's like dad was having her chopping down trees with her fists and with her shins. Like there's videos of her just boom, boom, like kicking these trees. And all of a sudden the trees, their bark is exploding off the trees and eventually the trees fall over. And I'm like, my God, never put me in a situation where that lady feels like she needs to kick me in the head because I'm, I'm out. I'll just swallow the poison. Thank you very much. I mean, I, and then if you got the Brian Ortega fight uh, for the title as the main event. You got Nick Diaz is back fighting, you know, Rob Lawler. I mean, this UFC card is nutty entertaining. Nutty entertaining. I just, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. By the way, our friend Dagon sends, uh, uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dragon 10. Appreciate that. Okay, next up. Dan, sorry, guys. When I get talking about UFC, I get very excited and I can ramble on a little bit. And a Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, I noticed that out of all the DC shows and CW shows that's on right now, you only watch Doom Patrol. Is it safe to say that the uh, DC TV shows have disappointed you? Uh, What should they do to make viewers like you come back to their shows? Also, Superman and Lois Rocks. Well, it's simple what they need to do. Make, Make better shows. Make higher quality shows. That's what you need to do. Uh, make shows that are as interesting and have the depth and whatever as a Doom Patrol does. Because Doom Patrol kicks all sorts of ass. Doom Patrol is amazing. And listen, there have been DC shows that I've really enjoyed. You know, there was a long, a number of years where I really loved Flash. Obviously, there were a few years where I really loved Arrow. I really liked Black Lightning. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, what's the secret? It's the secret. It's the same as anything else. Make better shows. That's uh, get more shows up to the caliber of Doom Patrol. Uh, Dangerous Deal also writes, hey, John, I saw the trailer for West Side Story. I know your stance about remakes, but is this necessary? Here's a little bit of a lesson, Dangerous D. No movie in history has ever been necessary, just so you know. Uh, aesthetically, it looks beautiful, but there's so many stories about the minority life, and why can't they make something original that we've never seen before? Well, Dangerous D, here's the thing. There are literally hundreds of purely original films that get made every year. I am so tired of hearing from people saying, why doesn't Hollywood make something original? Fact check. There is more original films being made today than in any other time in Hollywood history. It's also true that there are more sequels, reboots, and things like that being made than any other time in Hollywood history as well. That is also true. But both are true. More film gets produced. When I say today, I mean like in the, in the last five years, like COVID stuff notwithstanding. Today, more original films get made in Hollywood than any other time in Hollywood history. Y'all just don't go watch them. So yes, they're making a West Side Story. It's a classic. It's one that hasn't had a new rendition in a long time. You got the greatest filmmaker of all time, Steven Spielberg, making it. 
Uh, yeah. And no, is it necessary? No, no film has ever been necessary. No movie ever made has ever been necessary. Any movie you can mention, hell, even Star Wars, if it didn't get made, the world would keep spinning. But the movie business makes movies that they think audiences might go out to see to make them money. That's why it's the movie business. And don't cry about, why don't they make something original? There are. There's tons of original films out there. Tons of them. You just don't talk about them. I mean, you just don't go see them. And even when we try to boost them up on my show here, y'all still don't go see them. So, yes, uh, that's why. And by the way, I'm not even interested in West Side Story. I ain't saying all this because I'm all, oh, I'm all West Side. I'm team West Side Story. I'm not even interested in this movie, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, that's that's why it's getting made. That's why it's getting made. All right, next up. Uh, Chuck the Mystery writes, Hey, John, one of two. I was re-watching a film that I haven't seen since it was in theater six years ago, and I was just thinking, what went wrong? The film is Tomorrowland, yep, uh, which Disney reportedly lost over $120 million with a budget of over $250 million. It had a great cast with George Clooney, Hugh Laurie, Catherine Hahn, and an actress I really like in Britt Robertson. By the way, I had Britt Robertson come into my studio, and I got to sit down and chat with Britt Robertson about Tomorrowland. At the same time, you can go and look up that video. And she was delightful. I got to hang out with her a bit before we started and after we shot. And she was fantastic. She was absolutely delightful. I was really cheering for that movie. Anyway, um, and it was directed by Brad Bird. And while the script was far below par, I didn't think it was awful. What in your film, uh, what in your opinion killed the film? Thanks. Probably, it just didn't look interesting. It just simply didn't look interesting. They failed in the marketing. It was a two-step thing. And this is true of a lot of movies that bomb. This is true of a lot of movies that bomb. Um, Number one, just the marketing did not make the movie look appealing. Just didn't. I mean, you had George Clooney in it. That's interesting, but that's not enough to get people out out to the theaters per se. But the second thing was, it just didn't get any word of mouth after that. So the few people that did go to see it, the word of mouth wasn't all that great anyway. So at the end of the day, you had a movie that didn't look interesting to the audience that didn't see it and a movie that the audiences didn't talk about it once they did see it, other than the fact that a lot of them didn't like it. So, and again, that's not a magic thing. That's that's kind of the formula. That's a part of maybe 70% of movies that flop. That can kind of be behind it. So, and then the 30% of movies, there's other explanations, but I think it was kind of uh, standard. Uh, Big June 82 just brings up a great example in the live chat there. John Carter's another one, man. John Carter, which unlike Tomorrowland, John Carter is a great movie. It's a great movie. I don't care what anybody says. I think John Carter is a great movie. A great, pure, fun sci-fi. But... I have never seen, and I believe it was a Disney film, I have never seen a movie more brutally marketed. Right from the title of the movie, where they change it from the classic title of John Carter of Mars to John Carter. Okay, well, somebody hears that title, and what, they think it's about a lawyer? Do they think it's about a a baker living in Queens? It's just called John Carter. What the hell does that tell anybody about a movie? So they changed the classic title of John Carter of Mars to just John Carter. And then the trailers were abysmal. Like, I still remember they flew us out. True story. They flew us out. A whole bunch of us. They flew us out to uh, Arizona 
to this resort in the middle of the desert that like looks like Mars, right? And they let's do a whole bunch of fun activities and go on dune buggy rides and whatever. And then at night, they loaded us into some vans, took us to a movie theater in Phoenix, Arizona, showed us uh, the John Carter movie, and then brought us back to do interviews with the cast the next day. It was a terrific press junket. It really was. But I remember on the first day we got into Arizona, I was talking to a bunch of my fellow film pundits and film critics and ain't none of us expected the movie to be any good because the trailers had been awful. And I even remember talking to my Disney rep there and saying, so how bad is this movie? And the Disney rep was like, dude, I'm telling you, I think you're going to like it. I'm like, dude, I don't believe you. The trailers have been terrible. And I told him straight up, I said, this is the worst marketing campaign I've ever seen you guys do. This movie looks awful. This movie looks awful. They just, trust me, trust me, you're going to like this movie. All right, all right, whatever, whatever. So they put us into the vans and they drive us off to the theater to go see it. Totally pessimistic, like totally believing this movie's going to suck. And we all came out of it going, what the hell? That's a fun, enjoyable, really good, pure sci-fi, classic sci-fi kind of movie. How have you guys botched the marketing on this so incredibly badly. How have you guys done such a bad job marketing this film? Because that's a good movie. I think the director of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat, guys, but I the director of the movie was Andrew Stanton, who was doing his first like live action directing. He was a Pixar guy and he's really good storyteller. He's a Pixar guy. It's like Andrew Stanton, he delivered a really good movie. How have you guys botched the, the how have you guys botched this so badly? Yeah, I was really shocked. I was really, really, really shocked. But anyway, th that's how these movies basically fail. All right, uh, next up. We go check the Mr. Elsa writes, Hey, John, uh, while I can almost guarantee that Rob will watch it, do you have any interest in the new NBC series La Brea, which starts next week? Debris and the event uh, weren't great, while Awake wa was great, but all those shows were canceled after one season. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm interested. I, I will, here's the thing. I am going to watch La Brea. The, the commercials for it have got me intrigued. But La Brea is a show for me that is going to be on a very, very short leash. Like if it doesn't get me in episode one, I'm ditching it. Because I've seen too many of these shows that have just turned out to be craptastic. So I am curious about it. I've liked the commercials. I will try it. But it's got a very short leash impress me from episode one or I'm done. Uh, so that's kind of, cause I got too many other things to watch too many other things to watch. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see next up dangerous D writes, uh, who are these, who are these guy? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have. I have no idea what we're talking about. Sorry about that. Danger. I have no idea what we're talking about. L Otro Rob writes, Foundation premieres this Friday. I'm very excited about that on Apple TV, and it looks amazing. Can't wait to see on the screen the original a Galactic Empire and its planet-wide city. Are you guys excited about the adaptation of the series that inspired both Dune and Star Wars? Well, it didn't inspire Star Wars. It was one of many, um, it was one of many influences that inspired George Lucas, like Flash Gordon was one of the big influences. There's a lot of different things that influenced it. But that being said, I am absolutely excited about Foundation. 
I am absolutely excited about Foundation. The cast is fantastic. The under the the story, the mythology of it is great. The the previews for it have looked amazing. I am one hundred percent, one hundred percent excited about checking it out. And unlike La Brea, it's not on a short leash for me. Like, even if I don't like the first bit of it, I'm going to hang in there with it a little bit uh, and see how it goes. So, yeah, I'm very excited about this one. All right, next up. Uh, Baguio writes, uh, Baguio Blues, I should say, writes, tipping from the Philippines. Good to have you from the Philippines. I have family. I am a part of a Filipino family. Uh, My wife is obviously Filipino. Anyway, uh, I really want to watch the upcoming Foundation series. Do you think it'll be worth it to get the app to get Apple uh, Plus for it? Uh, Other, what other shows do they have that might sweeten the deal, dude? Listen, there are a couple, but really, you don't need any other one than Ted Lasso. I, I mean, seriously, I this is one of those Apple TV Plus. Ted Lasso is the type of show that I honestly think is worth getting a streaming service for just the one thing they have. And they have other great things. Listen, For All Mankind is fantastic. Morning Show with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston and uh, and uh, Steve Carell. I know it doesn't look like that would be show a show that a lot of us would enjoy. I got hooked on that show almost immediately. That is an extremely well-made show. Uh, it's great. So they've got a bunch of things. So is Apple TV Plus worth signing up for? I mean, even if it wasn't for Ted Lasso and for all mankind and uh, news, uh, 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 morning news or whatever, I would say Foundation would be worth signing up for just for that. Because you can always cancel afterwards if you want. But honestly, I think Apple TV Plus is turning into a really, really good one. And I'm not just saying that. Full disclosure, my wife works for Apple. So full disclosure, half of my household income comes from Apple. Thank you, Tim Cook. I appreciate that very much. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, Android is still better than iOS, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Um, but uh, but honestly, I, I really do like Apple TV Plus, so check it out if you get a chance. All right, uh, next up, we have, uh, where are we at? Dangerous D writes, hey, John, I see that rumors of possible romance between Maggie and Negan from Walking Dead. Didn't Negan kill Glenn? Out of all people, why is there interest in Negan and Maggie, Glenn's wife and father of her daughter? Is this in poor taste? Uh, Gleggy forever. I don't, I stopped watching. I can't answer this because I stopped watching Walking Dead a couple seasons ago. So I'm not up to date on that. So interesting topic of conversation for people who are in the live chat. I don't watch the show myself anymore, though, so I really don't have any point of view on it, unfortunately. All right. Next up, uh, Toretto's Pocket Hot Dog writes, Thoughts on Lucifer Finale? There is a certain ex uh, machina you notoriously complain about that I knew would bother you. Uh, LOL. I'm trying to be vague, but as soon as Rory explained her powers, I knew it was opening a can of worms. Doo-doo finale, but I still love it. Yeah, I'm not going to go into detail because I don't want to spoil anything. You guys know that I love the show Lucifer. Love it. And I've enjoyed this last season. It's not my favorite season they've done, but I've really enjoyed the season. But the finale to me made absolutely zero sense. It made absolutely zero sense. Um, it's, it just... The logic of it does, did not line up. 
at all. And I'm trying to be careful how I say it because I don't want to spoil anything, but God, I want to do a spoiler discussion of the finale of Lucifer because what they set up made... Now, listen, the show ends, great goodbyes. We got a great great way to say goodbye to Mazikeen, a great wrapping up of the story for a meta deal, a great wrapping up of the story for Dan, a great wrapping up of the story for Ella, um, I even like ultimately, ultimately, ultimately where Lucifer and Chloe end up. But the logic of the scenario made so little sense that Ann and I just kept looking at each other going, oh my God, what they just said makes no sense because blah, 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 blah. And by the way, that what for uh, it's a tiny 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 spoiler for those of you who haven't seen the actual end episode yet but you know that it's coming cuz the whole premise of this season is Rory is their daughter right so in one scene Chloe says to Lucifer I'm pregnant wow well we know it's Rory Rory our daughter Rory is now inside you the young version of Rory is now inside you yay and the very next scene they're out on the beach and Chloe is downing champagne and drinking alcohol, standing on freaking rocks on the beach. She just told Lucifer she's pregnant. She's blah, 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 blah. It's like, what the hell is happening? What's going on? And the show is great. The show is absolutely great. I love the damn show. Again, I, I just thought that the... The ending of it, like I said, I thought made very little sense, but, uh, but that's just me. Okay, let's move on here. Next up, Boris104 writes... Hey, John, I watched Kate the other day and I got uh, and got what I wanted from. Let me try this again. Hey, John, I watched Kate the other day and got what I wanted from what I heard. A fun movie with predictable plot and decent action. I don't know if you ever watch Corridor Cruise videos or not. Eh, once in a while, I'll watch one of their videos. Yeah, but they did one about Birds of Prey um, in their stunt man slash woman series they mentioned how most of the action except margot robbie looked like it didn't have enough force to justify the enemy's reactions like you i got a lot of those vibes through kate yeah i did pick that up a lot mary elizabeth winstead is a phenomenal actress and her chemistry with miku uh, martineau who is freaking delightful was awesome as well but some of the action didn't flow for me it was visually stunning the car chase shocked me um in the sense that it looked damn good for a movie uh, with what I assume is a smally budget, uh, the sequence or that sequence in the Japanese gang's home looked great too. That was a good sequence. The plot was predictable, but also played out differently to what I thought. Same outcome though. I still recommend a watch. Just let your eyes absorb the colors. Also, uh, the Japanese mu music throughout was effing sick. Saved one of the songs to my Spotify. Have a great day, John. Yeah, listen, I, um, I did not love Kate, although I liked it. I liked it. A lot of the action just didn't work for me because while some of the action was spectacular, some of it, like the fight choreography, just looked so slow and so non-fluid and just, quite frankly, so bad that it was hard to take it seriously, even when there was some action scenes going on where the motion was great and the choreography was fantastic. The car chase stuff also took me out because you could so obviously tell when they switched to 3D animation. Like, 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 it was so clearly animated 
that it really like the car stuff was so obviously animated that it really did take me out a bunch. So yeah, uh, there was that, uh, there was that. So yeah, that's my thoughts on cake, but I mean, still overall good. I enjoyed it. Like compared to most of the crap that we get out of, um, most of the crap that we get out of Netflix original movies, it's a welcome difference because it's at least good. I thought Kate was at the very least good. All right, next up, Donda writes, uh, buy one, rent one, lose one. Michael Fassbender edition, Snowman, Assassin's Creed, Light Between Oceans, three absolutely horrible movies. I will buy Assassin's Creed, even though it's complete garbage. At least the stuff in Assassin's Creed that happened in his past memories was pretty good. So I'll buy Assassin's Creed. I'll rent Snowman because at least it was a murder mystery and I'll lose Light Between Oceans. All three are incredible piles of shit, but there's minor redeeming qualities in Assassin's Creed. And I'll just say Light Between Oceans is even worse than Snowman, but all three of them are terrible. Anyway, Jean-Luc Picard writes, use the force, Harry Gandalf. There's a very famous, (laughs) pardon me. There's a very famous t-shirt that's got that on there as well. All right, Willow writes, come on, John. You have to attend the AVN Awards at least once. You've got to be curious. Plus, it would make for a good After Dark video. Uh, It would. For those of you who don't know, the AVNs are basically the the Oscars for the porn industry. And they hold it every year in Las Vegas. And it's a big, glitzy affair. And it's it's the AVNs for porn. It's it's the, the Oscars for porn. I get invited every year to the AVNs. I get invited to it every year. Um, I have never gone. I've never gone. But I'm, I am tempted every year to go just to see what it would be like. Because listen, this is a multi-billion dollar a year industry, right? And to go to an actual formal event like that, would be interesting. I just can't bring, you know, it would make an interesting video to do though. It would make a, I, I will admit it would make a very interesting, like John vlog to do me going to Vegas, going to the pre parties, going to the AVN event, maybe going to an after party or two and showing you guys what the experience was like. That might mean be an interesting, that might be an interesting video to do. Uh, but yeah, uh, up till now I have never gone and I've been invited to them for like the last five or six years, but I've never gone, but I uh, will see. Maybe someday I'll go and make a video out of it. All right. Suthius writes, Hey fellas, back in 94, when I was only nine, my family and I moved from Fullerton, California to Virginia. We traveled by bus, which took three days and three nights. And on that journey, I made a friend who reminded me of the one and the only Gene Wilder. He even sounded like him and had the same mannerisms. We talked about almost everything, especially things that we saw along the way on the road, but we also talked about movies and TV. And I shit you not, I remember him telling me that one of his favorite movies was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, of course, starring Gene Wilder. Um, Those were probably the best three days of that year for me. I since forgot his name, but I often think about Mr. Wilder and if he's doing well or if he's passed on. Listen, there are absolutely certain times and events that I've had in my life where I, where I thought, man, that was so-and-so. But then I never really know for sure if it was so-and-so. You know what I mean? I've had those experiences. That sounds like something, Suthius, that you could make. That almost sounds a little bit like 
a kind of Sandlot movie. That almost sounds like a movie you could make. Because what if it turned out it actually was Gene? Obviously, it wasn't. But what if it turned out it was actually like the ghost of Gene Wilder? I don't know. That would be fun. Thanks for sharing that story, man. All right, next up. Uh, uh, Mostly Me writes, uh, Hey, John, started watching your show about a month ago. Welcome to the show, man. Good to have you here. And now there's no lunch without your live stream on. Also, started Mayor of Easttown today, and I'm absolutely mesmerized. There aren't many shows out there that hook you in from the very first episode. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. First of all, Mayor of Easttown, the Kate Winslet show, that's just won a bunch of Emmys. Go watch it. It's freaking fantastic. It's absolutely wonderful. I believe it's an HBO show. I think it is at any rate. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat. But Mayor of Easttown is amazing, as Mal D uh, says in the live chat there. It's fantastic. But you are right. I feel like there's not a lot of shows today that hook you right from the first episode. It feels like a lot of TV showrunners, even ones who make fantastic television, don't know how to hook in the audience right away. I think the last time, like even Ted Lasso, which I love, the first episode didn't hook me in. The first episode of Ted Lasso didn't completely hook me in. Uh, Imran is saying, yes, it's an HBO show, uh, Mayor of Easttown. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. So it just didn't. The last time I remember a first episode of a show completely grabbing me by the guts and like had me completely hooked right from episode one was probably heroes you know save the cheerleaders save the world it was probably heroes like i remember i still remember true story that none of you care about but true story i actually had a date right i had a date lined up with a really beautiful girl too it was a first date i had a date lined up for this one saturday night and my buddy rodney had been telling me that I need to watch this show, Heroes, right? And remember, the streaming the streaming platforms weren't out there yet, right? There, there weren't you. You couldn't just jump on NBC's app and stream what was on it, right? Like, so, Heroes had already been on and started started airing, and I never gave it a shot. And they were about I don't know eight or nine episodes in, and my buddy Rodney had been telling me you need to watch this show, Heroes. And so this one Saturday morning, the same day that I had this date later on, my buddy Rodney comes over to my place and he brings me a bunch of, you know, CD burned CDs that he burned like the first eight or nine episodes of Heroes on for me. So he goes, you got to watch these. You got to watch these. Like, all right. So I watched episode one and got completely hooked. Then I'm like, I got time. I'm going to watch a couple more. So then I watched episodes two, three, four, and five. And then pretty soon it's getting to the time where I need to leave and go meet this girl for our date, right? So I text her and I'm like, hey, I'm running a little bit late. Meet me an hour later. Really? I just wanted to watch another episode of Heroes. So I watched another episode of Heroes and then I'm like, yeah, sorry, I can't make it. I ditched the date. Never saw her again, by the way. Just, just so you know, never saw her again. And all I will say is, Worth it. I ditched the date entirely so I could watch the final like three or four episodes of Heroes. Because I couldn't stop watching it. Couldn't stop watching it. Could not put it down. It's like, like that's it. It's like, hey, I got a date tonight. Probably go meet wonderful girl. Maybe both of us get a little snoo snoo. 
you know, or I could keep watching heroes <laughs> and, uh, I chose watching heroes. I chose watching heroes. One, one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen in my life. And unfortunately the show went downhill after season one. It, it totally went downhill after season one, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, uh, I passed up, I passed up on a date just so I could watch the show. I don't know what got me on that. Oh yeah. Talking about first episodes. Yes. Everybody watch Mare of Easttown. Definitely watch Mare of Easttown. Okay. Next, next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, Dune is a story about a teenage chosen one who saves the world with special magic powers to get revenge for what happened to his family. I don't know. Seems like the kind of a formulaic story that only zombies could like, ah, more people giving Denis Villeneuve a hard time. Yeah, I know. Listen again. I love Denis Villeneuve. He's a totally classy dude. I just think he said something kind of unclassy and, you know, whatever. I still, I can't wait to see the movie. I still can't wait to see the movie. All right. Last question of the day, guys. And we're going to wrap things up here. Crashing Coyote writes, I heard you say you're looking for a play and chat game. I have to suggest Telltale's Batman games. I've played around with those before. Not only is the gameplay fun because you make important decisions that make for a great storytelling and you explore a detective side of Batman or the Wolf Among Us game. I played Wolf Among Us. I played Wolf Among Us. Uh, Wolf Among Us was really interesting. Uh, I've always and I played around a little bit with the Batman games. Yeah. So what? What Crashing Coyote is talking about is I haven't done a play in chat for a while because I don't play World of Warcraft anymore. And that was really my main go-to game. And I don't think people are interested in watching me play online poker. So I did a few of my play in chats with online poker. So I've been looking for a good game that I can play while chatting with the audience and doing some more play in chat videos. So I've been getting some really good, uh, interesting um, uh, recommendations from you guys. So I appreciate it. I'll find one. I'll find one. I will find one. Okay, guys, listen. There are still some more questions to come from Dangerous D, uh, mostly me, Mephisto, <laughs> Steve Pintor, Preston the Kryptonian, and others. Do not worry, guys. We're going to do a John Campia After Dark tonight. Yes, tonight we will do a John Campia After Dark, and we will get all through all the remaining, because we're almost fully caught up here. We're, we're pretty close to being all caught up. Uh, these are all questions that were sent in today, so we're pretty much caught up on everything. But there are still more questions to come. We will get all caught up on all the questions tonight on our After Dark. So if you guys want to fire in a few questions, that because any questions you send in now, we will get to later on uh, for our After Dark. So keep your guys open for what time we're going to do that. Uh, Bill is asking, any dancers? No, I still haven't found any dancers. I have still not found any dancers yet. My, I got a friend of mine who's telling me he knows some professional go-go dancers and he's going to try to hook me up with them so I can get them out here uh, to be on the show on an after. So there will probably not be any dancers. There will be no John Campy after dark dancers tonight, but hopefully in an episode soon. So that'll do it guys. Thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. Special thank you to all of you guys for being here and a very special thank you to those of you guys who sent in the super chat badges. Absolutely. And the live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campus show. Thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, guys, I'll see you guys later tonight. And don't forget to join us for the John Campus show again tomorrow as well. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.